The global pandemic has changed life as we know it. What previously was somewhat certain is now anything but. Both in work and in our personal lives. The two so often are intertwined. And as a result, it is a grim inevitability that this uncertainty in our day-to-day -day lives has impacted so many in a negative way. Recent figures from the Office of National Statistics revealed that almost one in five adults were likely to be experiencing some form of depression during the coronavirus pandemic, a figure that has almost doubled from around one in 10 before COVID-19 hit. Feeling stressed or anxious was the most common way adults experiencing some form of depression felt their well-being was being affected. More than two in five adults experiencing some form of depression during the pandemic said their relationships were being affected compared with one in five that had no or mild depressive symptoms. The brewing industry, with its own pressures, is not immune from the impact of the global situation. But the relationship between mental health in brewing is nothing new. Far from it. It is, however, an area that has flown under the radar for far too long. Hello, and welcome to the Brewer's Journal podcast. I'm Tim Sheehan, editor of the Brewer's Journal. And I'm Rian Owen. Working in the brewing industry involves a lot of hard work and long hours. Whether you're in the field of production and packaging, or maybe sales and distribution, it has often been far too easy for many to forget that brewing industry professionals are not robots. In this episode, we look at the relationship between the brewing industry and the people that make it. And while the global pandemic has meant that we've not been able to host as many of the Brewers lectures as we'd like this year, in the podcast, we'll hear talks from two of our previous events. Stu McKinley, co-founder of Yeasty Boys, and Rich White, the founder of Werewolf Beer, share their experiences from working in the brewing industry, the pressures that come with it, and how we can do more to look after others and ourselves. Last May, the World Health Organization recognized burnout as an occupational phenomenon. In the 11th revision of the International Classification of Diseases, it is defined as such. Burnout is a syndrome conceptualised as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It is characterised by three dimensions. Feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job, or feelings of negativity or cynicism related to one's job, and reduced professional efficiency. Burnout refers specifically to phenomena in the occupational context and should not be applied to describe experiences in other areas of life. The Drinks Trust, formerly the Benevolent, has provided care and support to people from the drinks industry workforce, both past and present. In a recent article for the charity, workplace wellbeing expert and leadership coach Kat Hounsell spoke on kindness, the power of relationships, and how they can create a sense of belonging. Alongside safety and dignity, she says belonging is a core human need that we all need to meet. She adds that the art in leadership is how we meet these needs for ourselves, whilst creating a physical and psychological environment where others can do the same, and doing so with a keen eye on the vision and goals we have as an organisation. In brewing and the wider beer community, it's apparent that more can and needs to be done to look after those that make this industry such a great one to be part of. For many, a career in beer might seem like a dream job. And why not? To make, package, sell or distribute something that makes so many people happy can only be a good thing. But as we've already touched upon, it also involves a lot of hard work. 
There were long hours to contend with and what is often seen as the elephant in the room, salaries that rarely equate with the toil that that said individual is putting into their job. Someone that has experience in beer on both sides of the Atlantic is Rich White. The founder and director of Werewolf Beer is a native of Syracuse in New York State. As a fan of Hampshire-born singer-songwriter Frank Turner, White travelled to the UK back in 2012 to see the musician play a triumphant set at London's Wembley Arena. Not only had he travelled all the way from New York State to be there, but he was enjoying the gig with a would-be stranger that would go on to be his wife. I had just got my passport sorted because I sure as heck wasn't going to be one of those Americans that never travelled, he told us. I was a big fan of Frank Turner and really wanted to go to that show. So I went onto his online message board and offered to buy the drinks that night if anyone would show me around London. Thankfully, somebody took me up on that. That person was Laura. But such was her nature and her mutual love of good beer. She not only took Rich to the show and showed him around London, but she offered to buy the beers too. Fast forward some eight years, White has long since made his mark on the capital's brewing scene. Previously head brewer of London Brewing Company, he's now busy plotting and planning his own outfit, Werewolf Beer. Another brewer that has made the UK their home is Stu McKinley, the co-founder of Yeasty Boys. McKinley has lived in the UK with his family since 2015. The move was made possible thanks to a crowdfunding campaign in his native New Zealand that exceeded any of their expectations. Held in January of 2015, Yeasty Boys took only 30 minutes to raise 500,000 New Zealand dollars through an equity crowdfunding campaign designed to help sell beers to markets in Britain and Europe. Moving with the four other members of his family, some 12,000 miles to England, had its own inevitable challenges. So it's perhaps unsurprising that McKinley lives and breathes Yeasty Boys 24-7. But in doing so, he's helped make them something of a household name respected and regarded for a reliable core range along a wealth of excellent one-off and seasonal brews. Speaking at our Brewers Lectures in Newcastle and our inaugural Brewers Congress in London, White and McKinley share their experiences of the beer industry, the challenges that come with it, and how we can do more to improve it for everybody. So, do we have a problem with mental health in the brewing industry? I'm going to say that we do. Uh, and a lot of you would say, or maybe not you guys, but other people that, that know you, that know me, that know us, say, but Rich, surely you've got a dream job. And it is. We're all passionate about what we do, um, and that might be part of the problem. Um, thankfully, more people are starting to talk about it. Rich goes on to tell us more about his own story, and why it's so important to talk to others. Otherwise, a bad problem can get a whole lot worse. And in fact, I'm a person who has struggled with mental health in the workplace, and uh, here's a bit about my story. So, after moving to London in 2013, I've had the challenge of living with my new wife for the first time, uh, moving home in country and leaving my career, uh, friends, family, support network, uh, which is really not the best combination of factors uh, if, you, if you want to start fresh and have everything work out flawless. But the opportunity to take my dream job appeared, so everything would be fine, right? I don't have to tell anyone working in a small brewery what it involves, but, uh, you know, kind of a list are, of things that are pretty standard, I think. 
uh, working long antisocial hours, hard physical and repetitive labor, multitasking, high-stress environment, uh, working alone, working in isolation, and a lot of uncertainty. What's going on with sales? Uh, do you have the right staffing? What happens when equipment breaks down? And, you know, we, we make the joke, uh, I think I've seen a t-shirt that says, um, I'm a brewer's wife. No, I don't know where he is. No, I don't know when he's coming home. The concept of when am I, when am I going home? And this is not the uh, the person that's trying to get out early or isn't passionate. This is the person that's staying there till the end, till it's done, because they care about it, but they're, they're not getting home at, at an hour that is, is reasonable for their work-life balance. So if you take into account most of the stuff here and the fact that the industry is pretty male-dominated, what else might this kind of look like in the level of, of work and labor that's going on? Um, and the thing I think it most closely aligns with, now that we don't really have a lot of factories, is farm work. I think brewers have a lot in common with people that are working in fields, uh, that are doing a lot of labor, work alone, um, and uh, that, leads to, that leads to some issues. Many of us are taking on additional duties, so sales, dre, marketing, managerial roles, and if that wasn't enough, uh, you have to take into account people that aren't just employees. We've got small brewery owners who have all of this going on, and on top of that, don't have any employer to speak to about what's going on with them. Uh, so they're twice as alone. So I've just come to a new country and been given the task of designing new beers, uh, working through an expansion into a new brew kit, sending beers off to the Great British Beer Festival, winning some awards. Friends back home kept telling me how amazingly lucky I was. I was on top of the world, wasn't I? And it didn't feel that way, and the guilt of not being happy whenever in thought that I should be uh, made it worse. To top it off, I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone about it. This was the world I was in, and it wasn't getting better. Uh, mix all of this in with the role of a brewer and the stresses of working in a startup business, and you've really got the recipe for any number of mental health issues. Although we can probably check off quite a few boxes there, um, what was really, really going on with me would probably be labeled as burnout. So the burnout response has been known about for a long time. I'm not going to pour over everything, because uh, if you Google burnout, you're going to see that this is something people have been talking about for 20, 30 years in a lot of different industries. Um, hasn't always been looked at as a mental health issue. It's the problem of type A personalities, high-powered lawyers, ad execs, people that never get to switch off, like teachers, um, but can really apply to any workplace that people experience stress. Uh, burnout can be kind of a chicken and egg issue with anxiety, depression, and self-esteem problems, either contributing to it or stemming from it. So after getting to the point that I couldn't take it anymore, um, I went to my GP and signed myself off for two weeks. And during that time I had off, I had time to realize what was going on. Seeing a list of everything I was feeling written by somebody else uh, really immediately made me feel less ashamed about what was going on. So... Here are some of the issues we're looking at. Motivational issues, frustration, reduced energy and efficiency, fatigue, sarcasm and negativity, irritability. Anybody that knows me already, no, I didn't have a lot to go there. Uh, increased errors. Uh, so you're working long hours. Uh, you're getting to the point where you just the work quality isn't there. Uh, working longer hours but accomplishing less. 
you're spending hours and hours extra at the end of the day, but you still didn't get anything more done, um, along with feeling bad about that because you realize it. Headaches, debilitating self-doubt. When you are a decision maker or a person who should be making decisions, um, that can make all this a lot worse. Untreated, it can go into a lot worse things. White attributes a lack of control or insecurity as a potential cause of work-related stress. The idea of not feeling you have control over what's going on around you. Some of that, he explains, is going to happen in the brewing industry. You don't have control over what equipment is going to do. You don't have control over what's going to happen with a runoff or a mash. Add to that being lower down on the totem pole and not feeling like you have control of what's going on in your work environment. These things, he says, attribute to that lack of job satisfaction. This can extend to your relationship with your colleagues too. So talking with people is imperative to ensure both employees and employers know where they stand. So uh, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a tough nut to crack. People are stressed, people are at work. Um, and we really have to look at both what employees can do and what employers can do. Employees, you need to be a bit more selfish. You need to make sure you're taking your breaks, you're taking your holidays. There's a reason that we have wonderful laws around how much time you need off from work. And it's not a, it's not a privilege, it's a right, and you need to do that. Really, anything that's going to help in your life, eating properly, getting sleep, not overworking. Um, and this comes down to taking, leaving work at a reasonable hour making sure that you're not doing too much, uh, making sure the amount of work you're doing is appropriate for the amount of resources you have, and talking to people, whether this is colleagues, your employer, friends, family, or third parties. Um, you need to talk to people about what's going on. Employers, there's a few things in here that are a bit different. There's a few things that relate back to the other list. Uh, setting clear expectations. I think uh, I had an employer once, uh, the CEO of quite a big company, and uh, I'm not going to lie, he was a bit of dry toast. We joked about him. He was a really good businessman, but maybe not the most passionate person on planet Earth. But there are a few things that he said when getting up in front of all of us. And when talking about happy employees, one of the most important things I think he ever said, and I think it's true, is not how much free stuff they get or whether we've got pizza at lunch. It's really, it's about knowing what's expected of you and knowing whether you've done it or not. And that's kind of what needs to happen in the workplace. I think that's a key thing. Um, and it comes down to communication and setting reasonable expectations. Ensure your employees are taking their breaks and holiday. As I said, brewers are passionate. We are horses, not mules. We will work ourselves to death. Um, you need to make sure we go to lunch. We go away from the brew house. We take our breaks. We leave at a reasonable hour and that our holiday is scheduled in. I'm the worst for this. I know we've got things coming up. Um, I know there are things that need to get done and it feels like I have to get them done. As an employer, you need to watch for these kind of behaviors and make sure your employees are not burning themselves out. Having mental health policies in place and risk assessments. As I said, burnout and work-related stress have been topics for actually quite a long time, and you've, there are resources online, things like uh, HSE, have some really good tools on helping you assess uh, what the workplace is doing to people's stress levels in mental health. Speaking in London, Yeasty Boy Stu McKinley recalled the trip to Malaysia 
how, for the first time in nine years since he started the brewery, he was able to turn off his phone for two weeks. He was on his way back from a trip down to New Zealand where he'd been with his three boys and his wife, Friffa. Relaxing at a poolside cocktail bar one day, he recalls looking down at his kids in the pool with their new friends. He pondered on how they suddenly formed deep and important relationships at that point in their life. Friffa asked him why we don't as adults, why we don't make these sort of connections so quickly and, as she said, so amazingly. He laughed and said, Friffa, I do this all the time. I'm always out on the road making these kind of connections. These sort of childlike creative connections that we have with each other in beer, where we're always collaborating with each other, helping each other out and engaging. That's what I live for. Stu says that the majority of the modern craft beer world and the amazing brands that we all know and love are on the whole created by people like that. However, he also says that in the years being involved in Yeasty Boys, he's seen both sides of the coin. There are both good people and perhaps less so in beer too. So I moved to the UK and uh, I'm making new friends uh, like a child. Uh, I'm like a kid in the playground every time I go out. But every six months I go back to New Zealand and to Australia, uh, where we also brew actually. And I meet all these old friends from the industry from the early days, the time where it was kind of like a, a little cottage industry or a group of friends in the playground. We knew everything and we knew everyone who drank our beer. And uh, every time I go back, Things done changed, as Biggie Small said uh, before he was uh, most famously killed. So I go back to New Zealand and people say, please come back, Stu, we miss you. Like, things have changed completely since you've gone. Like, it used to be fun and exciting and people were friendly and we think that kind of you leaving made that all change. Now, I'm a benevolent dictator, but I certainly didn't make things change. Uh, you know, as we all know, and when we see that model of growth, for growth to go like that, a lot of new people have got to enter the industry and there are going to be people that come in who are on the outside and they may feel like the same way as us, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're all going to be friends. We just haven't got the time to drink all the new beers, let alone meet all the new people in the industry. One of my friends actually said, uh, and this is brilliant, they did say uh, it had gone from cottage industry to a dark satanic mills of mass production. Now, New Zealand's market's way too small for it to be quite that, um, but certainly there were people, uh, a lot of people who were building some very, very fast-growing breweries and, uh, and selling their beer for what appeared to be around cost price, which was very worrying, I think, um, and we all feel like, like that in the industry. But I always said to these people that, that size doesn't matter, and, uh, and I just meant it on the brewery scale of things, and I just meant it in regards to you know, the volume you produce or the money you turn over or anything like that. Some of the best people I know make uh, 50 times the volume that we do, or 100 times or more. Some of the people with the best philosophies uh, do that. And then uh, I know complete shitheads who uh, work on little nano pico breweries. It has got nothing at all to do with, uh, with uh, what it is that you um, produce or put out. McKinley likens the UK brewing sector to that of the various music scenes, where everyone played in each other's bands, they dated each other's friends, and went to each other's concerts. But, as he said at the time, these things can change very, very quickly. Silicon Valley's the same. It's, uh, you know, time and time again, one of the fastest growing regions uh, and industries in the world for what they do. And again, one of the most collaborative industries in the world. People live with each other. They catch the bus together, you know, on the special Silicon Valley buses every day uh, and chat about work. They collaborate in the morning and compete in the afternoon. Uh, and I think it's really good in, for the industry to have that kind of mindset. It's all about mindset, value, culture, and philosophy. 
Uh, and I love the fact that we're going back now to what John said at the start. It's, uh, it really is about philosophy and the way we, we think about things. What I also notice in the industry is that um, I have three neurodiverse sons and I see it everywhere I look now. We have this bunch of people who kind of sometimes, uh, you know, are a little bit odd. They, they're filled with mind blindness or uh, an inability to quite understand and see what uh, other people think and where they go. But they also form creative hubs all around the world. And I think if you look at Silicon Valley, which has the highest rate of autism uh, anywhere in the world, and um, probably go and look at the music scene and things like that, it's the same thing. Whether you're diagnosed or not, I'm sure you all know people uh, who are a little bit odd. I may be one of them. The problem with that creativity, he says, is that these individuals get their energy from positive feedback and don't often care too much about the money coming in. We work too hard and uh, we can often be pushed too hard when we are uh, employees of people. We care more about staying up all night to, to get the last 1% on something right than, um, than having a good night's sleep and sort of uh, looking after things. We probably take it a bit too seriously uh, when someone says, if you, don't come in on, if you can't come in on a Saturday, don't bother turning up on the Sunday. That's an old joke from the sort of uh, uh, advertising industry where people worked uh, all the time and never saw their family. So going back to my wife, uh, who said that um, the whole idea that we were like uh, children in the beer industry and uh, creating these relationships, she said, you're pretty good at drinking beer. And uh, that's what it's all about, surely. It's not about uh, the fact that you all think like creative children and want to play together. Well, I suppose, you know, in some ways, beer certainly helps uh, lubricate us in regards to um, coming up with these ideas and spilling the beans on our secret recipes and things like that. But I've spent enough time sober with people like you uh, at industry conferences and things to realise that it's not all about that. You know, I can remember meeting the guys from uh, North Bar and North Brewery uh, at a pub conference last year and we were absolutely like children at a playground who had just been introduced and realised we had the same favourite band or the same favourite football team and we got on like a house on fire and spent the day together. By the end of the day we had had a couple of beers but, you know, that spark happened instantly and it happens all the time. So, McKinley asks, what are we going to do if we're faced with this problem where we have these people who really, really care about our output and not so much about who we are as people? And also how, as an employer himself, does he approach this in his own business? This is something that I think about a lot as, as we see a lot of growth ahead with Yeasty Boys and the kind of people we want to employ and the philosophy that we want to have as a business to make sure that those people feel comfortable when they come and work for us and that we get the right fit. And we want to accentuate the positive. And sometimes that actually means looking at some of uh, the big businesses that we've worked with in the past who um, we've learned technically around you know, how to brew better beer from them. And also I think we can learn a lot better about how we look after our staff. We can keep that childish spark while also uh, putting together in place, in place the processes and things that we need to keep those people around. But we want proper hours. We want to work on time and loo for people who work weekends. You know, I don't want people working seven days a week. Expenses for benefits is one of the things that I talk to about with all of my staff. If they travel and they stay with a friend, then we're not paying for accommodation. Take the friend out for dinner. Buy them something nice. Take them some of our beer. Look after them. Make sure that everyone down the road is rewarded for uh, what they do for our business. Training is very important as well. Looking after people, making sure that they know about uh, beer, about hospitality, about dispute resolution, about their own mental health, uh, looking after themselves, 
and of the way that they um, that they treat other people in the industry, helping them become mature individuals as well as I hope to become one day when I lose this uh, ten year old mentality, putting things through the overnight test, and I'm very very guilty of this of uh, jumping onto something and uh, and running with it in an instant when I see it on Twitter or on Facebook or I read an article or someone pipes up in a pub. Well, I want to make sure that I go to bed and, and think about things and take it to the next day and realize, see, see to myself, is this one worth, is, you know, is this idea that I had last night worth following up today or should I just move on and let uh, that thing play out in its own way? McKinley asks, what and how can we learn from others? But I always have this underlying feeling that small businesses in this industry think that we're better than the big industries. And uh, as I've said before, we're not and we need to learn from them. We need to be better at the way that we look after our staff, uh, and that's in uh, you know, the formal ways and in the informal. If we imagine a world where people can uh, make the kind of beers that we do uh, and grow in volume and grow the amount of staff we have uh, and the, the amount of sort of bars and everything that we work with and still nurture our people in the same way, then we're going to have the best of both worlds because we're going to have people who work for us you know, or with us forever we're never going to have to train new staff because the staff that we've brought on before will be able to train them for us. And, um, you know, we will have got them to a point where they can go off and do their own thing if they really need to. At Yeasty Boys, our philosophy is that every single person we ever employ, we would like to work for us forever. It's aspirational, and I know we, I know we can never actually achieve that. In fact, we have lost one staff member over the nine years. He left because he had to go and look after his wife full-time, and uh, he still is. And he may come back one day if we're really, really lucky. But that's, that's the aspiration. And we have to be aspirational, otherwise uh, what point is there being here? It's no secret that working in beer can so often be a challenging career path. Be it gruelling shift work with early start or late finishes, to the stress of meeting sales targets, or the mammoth festival season, where everybody wants your attention at all times. So it is imperative, as we have learned, to take time for others take time for yourself and to communicate. To respect people as you would want to be respected yourself is a good place to start. And by doing so, we can make the industry a better place for everyone. As I say, it's just beer. And I think in the end, this afternoon when we all go off and have a beer, we have to remember that um, there's more to life than beer and to our business. So don't worry about staying late to make that 3am deal. Go home and hug your partner or your kids. Or, um, or call home if you're uh, not from here, or call your mum and say hello. This is, uh, there's far more to life than uh, just what we're doing here. So, kakite ano, araha nui, that means see you soon and uh, much love. The Brewers Journal podcast is a production of Reby Media. Produced and hosted by Tim Sheehan and Rian Owen. Sound engineering was by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. The executive producer is Rory Harris. And a special thank you to Stu McKinley of Yeasty Boys, Rich White of Werewolf Beer and the Drinks Trust. <laughs>